Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and join with me today, we have Adam Simon. Hello. Christina Andronley. Hi, guys. We have David Tai. Hey, everyone. We have Adam Edwards. Hello. And we have Dan Toplit. Hey there. And welcome to uh, Floor 9. So this week, uh, before we dive into our topic, let me give you a quick background on the lab and what we do up here on Floor 9. The IPG Media Lab is a specialized group dedicated to innovation working across the interpublic network. For over a decade, we've been evaluating new technology, identifying how it changes consumer behavior and media consumption, and providing our clients with actual insights to help navigate the ever-evolving media landscape. So welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Floor 9. So guys, uh, we have special guests, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, they are the SEO and paid search team from Reprise, uh, and we just want to kind of go around the table and give us some quick uh, backgrounds on how you guys work within IPG, what's your you know favorite color, all the exciting things. All right, I'll go first. Uh, so my name is Adam Edwards. I've been at Reprise for about six years now. I lead the SEO practice. Um, I've been doing SEO for most of my career. I won't say how long, uh, but back in the days when Google was not necessarily the predominant search engine. A veteran, an absolute veteran. So I'm Dan Toplett. I work with Adam uh, on the SEO team. Um, I've been at Reprise for about eight or nine months. Um, before that, I was at another agency, and before that, I was giving away money to high school kids to go to college, which is not a great business model. So for those entrepreneurs out there, don't uh, maybe think of something more profitable. Hey, guys. This is David Tai. I've been with Reprise for about eight years now. So I got, I got Adam beat. Uh, and I, I started out doing uh, general marketing for J&R Music Computer World, which was a, a staple in New York, but unfortunately they shut down, and good thing I got out of there. But I'm here now, and I lead the paid search practice here in the East Coast, New York, and looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Well, uh, today's conversation is going to be revolving all around uh, search and how consumer behavior is changing when it comes to search, uh, especially when it comes to audio uh, and visual search. So Google Lens just came out, and Adam Simon, would you like to explain exactly what Google Lens is? Sure. Uh, Lens is uh, Google's product that lets you use the camera on your smartphone as an input into the search field. So you just point your camera at something, and it pulls up uh, information from Google's knowledge graph, which is that uh, box that shows up on the side of your normal uh, search results on the desktop, um, and lets you take action on it. So uh, my favorite example that Google demoed at uh, I.O. last year at their developer conference um, was um, pointing your phone at the marquee uh, that might have a, be advertising an upcoming concert and being able to listen to music by that band or buy tickets or just add it to your calendar to remind you later. Absolutely. And I think that uh, is a great segue into just the state of how this is changing um, consumer behavior and search. Uh, I think today that it is still very young. You know, we haven't seen much in the space when it comes to actual, um, you know, like developments in, in like, the, I would say like the actual like hardware itself, like there's the Google lens, there's a Pinterest lens, but we haven't seen many other, um, you know, platforms come out with any sort of, um, you know, hardware solution or software solution. Um, and to that point, you know, even the Google lens was supposed to come out last year, Adam, I believe. Yeah, they announced it last year at their developers conference, and uh, it didn't. It, I think the only phones it shipped on last year were the the Pixel Two uh, models. 
And the, the thing that's changed is that now it's starting to roll out across uh, to other Android devices and also to iOS devices. Uh, so, you know, on, on top of images, you know, we can also recognize text uh, and it can also do some trans, it can actually translate. Uh, so we'll try that demo later, but uh, I have uh, un uncertainties about how well that'll work live. So uh, Dave, I believe you have, you have some examples that you're, like your team's been thinking about for uh, search. Um, yeah, I mean, just personal use examples. You could also take, at least on my phone, the Google Pixel 2, you could take existing images that you've taken and activate that Google Lens feature and it'll see what it matches to. Um, so here are some examples that I went through. I had a picture of a baboon because I was in Japan visiting Monkey Island or something like that. I forgot what it was called. Um, but basically, it was walking on all fours, took the picture, and Google Lens thinks it's a dog. So close, but not really. Um, I also ran the Google Lens on the floating Tori, which is you know a huge structure in Japan that is very popular and famous. Um, while it did identify correctly, um, when I clicked through to the search results, because that's an option when you do Google Lens, all the, the um, links and the language on the page was in Japanese. So not really a relevant experience for me, someone who doesn't speak Japanese. Um, so they could use some work there. And then lastly, um, I took a picture of a Jameson bottle from you know, one of our recent happy hours here at Reprise, and it identified it as a scotch instead of Irish whiskey, even though the label was clear and everything. So I feel like it's still in its infant stage. Uh, there's a lot to work through, um, but maybe it does better with landmarks, you know, and things that are very distinct and unique compared to like a product where there might be multiple variations of colors and branding and logos and stuff. The, the key thing that uh, Google really has to acquire is is more Google really needs more data. Um, people forget about before Android, um, one of the best ways that Google collected voice data was through the 3411 service. Um, and when it comes to visual search, yes, it's great to develop in a lab, but until it's in the wild for long enough and you have a large enough audience using all this, uh, that's when they start refining things. We talk about search as you know, the world's largest focus group, and uh, it'll be the same thing for visual search. And one of the key things is the scalability. So if you give it enough time, it can probably figure it out. Um, but having to do that for billions of images, it's hard to do easily and quickly uh, to be able to analyze all that. So for instance, sometimes if you do a, an image search, uh, you'll get a lot of relevant results if you're using keyword search. Uh, but there'll always be some outliers like, why does this fit in? It's because uh, either it was tagged improperly, it's trying to understand like through relevance, like it's related. Um, and so when there are errors, like uh, as a search engine, as an algorithm, as a program, uh, it's trying to deliver what it thinks is accurate, uh, but doesn't always have like the quality control just because of a scalability uh, problem. Yeah, and then I was also like to your earlier point about this, it doesn't have enough data yet. I mean, they, Google has access to all all of Google Photos, so all the all the user photos that are in there, I'm sure they'll be doing that to start training. Uh, and better improving the algorithms or the like the computer vision that's within um, the Google Lens product itself, and yep. I think that's a pretty big ad advantage for them compared to um, other you know players in the space today. But it's also the user um, kind of quality assurance, you could say. So, for instance, yes, they have a ton of photos, uh, but are they getting the feedback they need to recognize if this is accurate enough? So, for instance, when they're looking at search results, uh, they can tell if you click into something and then you click back, well, that probably wasn't what you were looking for. So yes, it can say, well, uh, contextually, maybe this was relevant, but maybe it didn't solve the need. So for instance, 
this comes into play a lot with uh, timeliness. So if something's really important that uh, you need to know something that just happened, uh, maybe something from a couple years ago talked about the same subject, uh, but is not relevant to you today. Um, and the same thing you could say for visual search. So knowing that, you know, Google is just like one player in the space, like Pinterest, have you guys um, looked at Pinterest? Yeah, I, I would say that Pinterest might have an advantage over Google in this space because Pinterest was always an image type of search engine. Um, and users are used to seeing everything and browsing it in that manner. So with them now being able to shop certain looks based off of you know the visual aspect, uh, I think they have a one-up on Google, and Google will have to catch up in terms of getting users used to doing that as well. Yeah, so what Pinterest is doing is uh, they're starting, they were first to market with a visual search tool, but they're starting slowly and trying to get it right for consumers before they expand to brands, which is smart. Um, they're putting a lot of emphasis on home and on fashion, highly shoppable categories, highly visual categories, um, and trying to see where consumer attention goes, how consumers are using it, what the best use cases are, um, and then starting to build more brand experiences and more retail integrations on top of that. Um, it's pretty cool. You can go into, they've announced partnerships with Target, they've announced, par announced partnerships with Home Depot, where you go into the store and open the Pinterest app and you can scan something on the shelf and it, the Pinterest app can identify what that product is and recommend like or similar products to you. Um, they also have a feature where you can pull up an image and shop the look. So if you have an image of a West Elm photo, say, you can click on the sofa, you can click on the picture that's in, hung up in the room, you can click on the carpet and click out to that retailer's website and actually shop that look. So they're starting to have more integrations with brands. I think we'll see a lot more coming in the next year or so uh, as they make visual search a bigger and bigger part of their entire visual discovery platform more broadly. That's that's really important getting back to the data collection piece because you know for a long time, uh, Google uh, didn't touch image search. Sometimes they admitted for like six months at a time. Obviously, they're focusing more on it. They're starting to show ads in there, so it's in their best interests. Um, but because people know to go to Pinterest for image search, they're going to collect um, you know, probably more data, um, at least more relevant data, um, at a faster clip. Pinterest also has the advantage of uh, a very focused intent from a consumer standpoint when they're searching. So Google has an impossible problem of being a search engine for everything. So if I take a picture of a product, it's not clear if I'm on Google whether I'm looking for information about the product, the place to purchase the product. Uh, if I'm on Pinterest, the typical behavior on Pinterest when you're taking a picture of a product is to you know, go into the shopping experience. So they're able to deliver uh, a higher probability of success in terms of the results that they're pr providing because there's a more narrow intent from their general user base on their site. And they're more incentivized, where if you're taking a picture for Google, maybe you're going to Wikipedia, which, you know, from Google's perspective, yes, uh, you're answering a question, but you're not making money off of it directly. Yeah, and I have noticed that Wikipedia is pretty much the, re the first result you get when you're using Google Lens. Um, but Google does offer this ability to click through and see other images, and then that's when the shopping opportunities exist, because that's where Google can pull in these shopping ads, um, and they have multiple you know, layouts, so you have many options to choose from. So kind of on that vein, 
well, maybe switching off that vein a little bit, the idea of like the consumer adoption around this technology, um, I think is also key to understand. Because um, right right now, it's like, do you guys know that your like iOS phones can scan a QR code? I feel like every time I talk to somebody, they're like, oh, I didn't know we could do that yet. Um, so I still feel like there's like a lot of learning that has to be done until this really becomes a mainstay in how you know consumers are going to be looking to search. Um, I, I think there's still room for it to, to grow. Yeah, I think it's a narrowing of kind of a process of, of elimination based on giving consumers the tools and then seeing how they react with them. I think you know, voice search, which is another thing that I know we, we want to talk about, is uh, a good example of that where we have all these voice-enabled devices making their ways into consumers' lives, and we're just starting to learn a little bit about what types of searches people are prioritizing on, on voice. And you know, there are certain things that aren't the best experience in a voice uh, environment. And I think image search is the same way, that there are certain types of things like recipes or products or you know marquees on, on a theater where image search is, is the quickest way to get the information that you want. But there are also certain types of queries where image search is not the quickest way. And I think that fragmentation of you know, what's going to be the most uh, you know, efficient utility of, of the search environment is going to drive consumer behavior. I think one thing we forget about is that consumer behavior uh, kind of comes from the technology that's available. So I go back, having worked in search for such a long time, that kind of the new voice assistants um, are actually delivering on the promise of Ask Jeeves. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, it was, uh, oh, sure, ask a question. We'll find you the right answer. Actually, that didn't really work that well. Um, but it was the natural interface that they want to encourage is to ask questions. That's how we evolved as humans. That's how our language works. Um, as Google came on the scene and it was able to deliver better results but required uh, a retraining of, of customer behavior, it's like you have to use keywords. Um, and actually, at the beginning, uh, Google ignored a lot of the questions that we now recognize as uh, really critical. So uh, words like what is... Um, these very important questions, even the difference between the and a, uh, which might not exist in, in all languages, uh, can be very important in, in determining intent. And uh, that's why, you know, over the years we've gotten better at searching with keywords. Um, now, with these new interfaces, whether it's a visual search or voice search, uh, consumers have to understand, like, what's possible, what it's good at, um, before they, you know, evolve their, their own behavior. I think another, it's great that you bring that up because I think a lot, it's interesting to see in visual search, a lot of that behavior is being driven by an app. So you think Pinterest, you think Google Photos. Um, but in other cases, so if you think about wireless charging, for example, that's hitting the mainstream because Apple changed the standard that they use in their new iPhone releases. And that's going to cause wireless charging to explode this year. Um, and I would expect a similar type of evolution to occur where because smartphones are still ubiquitous in consumers lives it's going to be a lot easier to drive consumer behavior forward and drive that change and evolution towards visual search anchored in the smartphone itself and that platform as opposed to an app trying to come in um, and revolutionize the industry this might get a little off topic but uh, people always wonder like what was the magic formula for the iphone to get everything right uh, a lot of it was using a finger instead of a stylus, uh, but really the App Store was a critical differentiator. People forget there were smartphones, there were smartphones before the iPhone, um, but you know there were QR readers 
uh, that were not integrated in the camera for a long time. And, you know, I used one. Um, probably uh, some of you did, uh, but it was not mainstream. And so uh, making sure that those features, when they're ready, uh, are, you know, communicated. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that I think it's notable that Google did not put uh, Lens into the default camera on Android because uh, obviously it's not quite ready for prime time yet. And eventually, I think we expect that it will go to the default camera. It will be accessible from the lock screen. Um, but we're probably still, uh, you know, at least a year or so away from that. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for them on the iOS side, obviously, because they're they're never probably going to be integrated into the, the iPhone's camera. Um, and what Apple does in that space, I think, will be very interesting. I think their ambitions in augmented reality mean that they do have to sort of start to do some of this visual search stuff as well. Um, which is not really something that um, they uh, they haven't really worked on search outside of the the sort of local contents of your phone up until now. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there too. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to talk about you know the newest in technology, but you you sometimes forget that the environment around the technology also has to adapt. Um, so you think about you know taking a picture of a package, you know a product package, you know, some of the information that's going to be built into that picture your packaging might have to be changed to adapt to the way that, you know, lens or some of these other technologies read images and, and you know, ingest that data. Or you think about turning off your lights with your Alexa, you have to have a, you know, a receiver attached to the lights that can communicate with Alexa. So, you know, it can hear that and, and then intend to turn the lights off. So I think they're, you know, the ancillary products that interact with these different technologies have to be brought up to the same level of technology for everything to be seamless and, and really hit the mainstream. Yeah, there's so much focus on the Echo and Google Home and all these devices, but, you know, a lot of the stuff was possible with buttons with X10 uh, maybe 15 years ago, I guess. Uh, it's just now that it's voice-enabled, which is pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, a lot of things have to catch up. You said something earlier that I think is uh, also interesting um, in that uh, in the voice space, we have uh, had, our, had voice assistants on our phones for a long time that provided a ton of useful training data. It's part of the reason why, um, why they're so good today is because we've been using them in some capacity on our phones for years. And I think that the, the, the challenge in visual, visual search is that we don't really have that training data coming from anywhere at this point. It's really just the machine learning algorithms um, absorbing photos on the on the web. Yep. But beyond that, we, don't, we there's not there's not a, a cache of millions of users using them every day. Voice has had at least a twenty year head start. Um, I remember in college. Now I'm dating myself. Um, you know, Dragon Dictate. Uh, one of my best friends had it installed, and he tried like crazy to get it to work. And he would say, like, launch Excel and Photoshop would open. Um, you know, now, 20 years later, things work relatively well. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than where it was. Visual is going to take a long time um, to catch up in that aspect. I, one, of the, one of the Internet history's, like, great uh, misses to me was um, Yahoo's acquisition of Flickr. An incredibly smart acquisition for pennies on the dollar. Same thing with Delicious. Uh, but the tagging, as far as I can tell, did not make its way into the main search engine. That was a treasure trove of data. So I know we've, we've kind of brushed over the topic of voice search, and we've you know had some great conversation about it, but um, just to kind of just like, like, like level set, so like today when you guys are looking at voice search when it comes to like your brands, like how are you recommending them uh, to think about it, and what are some steps that brands can be taking today? Um, 
we've recognized that voice search was coming for a long time. I mean, yes, uh, Comscore has come out and said that uh, voice search will be, you know, 50% of all searches by 2020. Um, but a lot of those will be like for directions and not necessarily, um, you know, other queries that we might be able to leverage as marketers, um, like what's the weather. But uh, we've worked a lot on this with our clients, and uh, we were actually recognized by the Drum uh, Search Awards last year for our work work in that um, for one of our uh, financial clients. Um, the easiest thing is to think about it through schema. Uh, so once you mark up a page within a um, you you mark up content within a page uh, to focus on specific topics. So uh, if you're at all familiar with HTML. Uh, there's like a head tag and a body tag, and that's where most of the content is. Uh, but as you start to see things like the knowledge panel within the Google results, you see that things are called out. Um, yes, Google has developed a lot, and other surgeons have developed a lot of artificial intelligence to pull that out. Uh, but as, uh, as SEO professionals, we can uh, help clients um, tag that individually, which is really critical for certain industries, especially like recipes. Um, but for our financial client, uh, it was recognizing that people have a lot of questions. And a lot of websites on the internet focus very heavily on the top and bottom of the funnel. Uh, they focus on awareness and they, fig they focus on converting uh, leads. They miss that middle part. And that's uh, really where voice search has a big opportunity to play. Um, yes, of course, the Amazon Echo is basically built to you know help you buy things. Um, but in terms of just like general uh, usability, um, and utility, um, asking a question, uh, having uh, our brands and clients as the um, experts in the space being able to answer that concisely. Uh, it takes a lot of rewriting, actually, because uh, historically maybe it was better um, organically to have a lot on a particular topic. Uh, now you need to answer something within a paragraph, um, and that's a lot of restructuring, too. It's pulling a lot of information from around uh, sometimes different assets, not just on a website, um, and getting it all in one place. So you're helping the search engine understand it semantically. The really tricky thing is when you start to think about different markets. So obviously, uh, if you've traveled at all or if you've talked to friends overseas, you might know that search engines, uh, search engine results differ quite a bit, even when you travel. I mean, you travel around a country, uh, especially if you're searching for restaurants, you know, the search engines tend to know that you're looking for something locally. Uh, but when you get a list of 10 blue links and some ads, uh, that's not a problem. You can pick from the right one. You can refine your query. When you're in voice search, you typically get one response. Um, and, you know, in certain countries, you know, that uh, those answers to questions might come from the government, um, which we wouldn't expect here. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and Adam, to your point, you know, when you're doing a visual, visual search or just a search in general on a, a laptop or a, a phone, you got the you get the option to really just scan through really fast, right? But on voice, you, you can't listen faster. Maybe there'll be a fast forward option or, or a skipping option, but um, typically you have to be very patient. And we know that in general, uh, we don't have a lot of patience or uh, a high level of attention span. So, how do we monetize that? You know, how are brands getting in front um, and in terms of a paid placement when it comes to voice? That's what I'm struggling to to understand and to anticipate. I've tried some of the skills and they're uh, a challenge because anything that you need to like fill out a form takes forever 
on voice. And if you like make a mistake, you have to go back and sometimes it'll, you know, misrecognize what you're trying to do. Um, for me, the most exciting combination is when we get voice and visual search or, or, or voice with some sort of visual feedback. Uh, so I actually really like the Xbox implementation. Um, if you, uh, if you ask it a question, uh, it can show Bing results. So you kind of get the best of both. So you get the quick, uh, you know, accuracy and, uh, familiarity of, of using a, a normal query box and then being able to select something. And that's where Amazon might have a leg up, right? With their Echo Show, it's a voice and visual component. Um, I guess we got to wait and see what Google and Apple do. No, I'm, I'm pretty negative on the Echo Show in general. I think I actually I think the Spot, the little um, one that looks like an alarm clock with a screen, is probably a better implementation. But uh, back to the combining voice and visual together, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot in terms of, um, and that could might help uh, visual search in the short term, is to, to help narrow the consideration set. Um, I, I, I'm surprised we have not seen somebody yet uh, combine these, probably Google will be the first, um, where you're talking to, let's say, Google Assistant, and it needs more information, and it asks you to show it whatever you're looking at. Um, because at that point, you're, you're, the amount of data it has to process, it, it will have a pretty good idea of what you're looking for, and the amount of data it has to process will be pretty low. Um, and there's a lot of other additional context that can really sort of make that search successful. And you can imagine lots of, lots of ways where that just a little bit of visual information might be push it over the edge into what we would consider super smart uh, AI uh, reaction. Um, one of the examples I always use is you are... Um, on your way to a meeting in a, in a new building and you uh, it, your calendar, your Google knows where you're supposed to be and you just ask it, Google, which door am I supposed to go in? And you can hold your phone up and it Google might know. You can imagine a world in which Google knows what the door to the front of the building that you need to go to looks like um, and it should be able to point that out to you. Like I think that is something we're pretty close to. Again, it's a, a specific use case and a, a narrower set, but I think combining them is actually more powerful. Yeah, and going back to the Xbox um, idea at home, I mean, combining that with Connect uh, could be super powerful. Well, even just knowing who's asking at this point, because yeah. uh, I know that that Google and Amazon have both made a little bit of progress in terms of identifying users, but it's still it's still pretty shaky. And uh, facial recognition is obviously um, a lot more advanced in terms of identifying users. So yeah, uh, it's kind of a shame that the Connect uh, is uh, rather. Uh, uh, gone product uh, out of Microsoft's product line because I, I do think there was a lot of potential there. Yeah, I, I think that there's kind of a race to combine all the different senses of humans <laughs> to, to you know really power search. I think you think about um, from a marketer's standpoint, you know, how do I touch all those senses at once with my message? And, and there's, you know, it's, it's historically been very uh, visual, not in the sense of visual search, but in visual results that you're, you're typing something and then you get a, a you know feedback. There's now this element of okay, now I can use pictures and images. You know, there's a, there's you know element of I can use my voice. Yeah, I think as you evolve technology, are we going to see things like touch or smell? Or are there other ways to take these interpretations of you know what the humans experiencing and allow them you know technologies underlying these algorithms to bring those into their factors? Search 2020, search by smell. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for someone to bring up smell because I actually, I'm big into crowdfunding and I got an alarm clock that wakes you up by smell. Um, does, and Does it happen to be bacon smell? Because that would be... That might be one of the options. That would be ideal. Um, I have like a, a toast and I think there's coffee and like pine trees and things. Um, 
it's uh, it's tough because they have to be like replaceable. Um, but I definitely I don't think that's as far off as you might think. Awesome. I think one of the challenges that you run into as you're trying to evolve into that space is each different sort of uh, sense, if you will, comes with an entirely new set of terms and conditions and privacy issues. <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've seen with you know, the home devices or the you know, Echo is I am a huge fan of Shazam. The, the technology behind Shazam still boggles my mind today, and it's been around for you know, almost 20 years probably now. Um, the home devices have a difficult time with that experience of playing a song and listening to it and then delivering what that song is. Um, they usually use kind of metadata that's built into the song, particularly if you're connected with your Spotify or Pandora or whatever um, you know, through your phone. But they're receiving oral or your auditory inputs and then converting that to text to determine what the delivery is uh, in terms of response. So there's also the issue of, from the privacy standpoint, there's terms that they're not going to be recording or pre-storing audio, which are things that also are kind of required in being able to provide that seamless experience of listening to music and then sending you back information about the music that it's hearing. So that Shazam experience is still kind of stuck on the phone. And you know, I think you're going to see that with a lot of different you know, natural experiences that you want to leverage these devices for, but maybe some of their Kind of legal compliance issues are going to prevent them from being able to deliver that effectively. Uh, interesting. Also, uh, when we go, we were thinking about um, building things into the camera apps uh, on our devices, as Apple obviously just acquired Shazam. So I wonder if some of that, uh, what the rationale behind that was um, around the visual side. Even obviously, the, the music data is valuable to them as well. But I wonder if they saw something in the visual side as a way for them to sort of get a jump start there. I, I think what we can kind of get into is just like a recap of any uh, big brand takeaways that brands should be thinking about, um, you know, going forward into like how they can better improve their like their SEO across visual, across uh, you know audio, um, and even today traditionally, you know, like that's still something that brands should be thinking about. Um, so I will kick it off to uh, Adam first, uh, and then we can kind of go around the horn here. I'd say you hear about these technologies in the future, even if you don't have an Amazon Echo or Google Home or um, anything else, or uh, you know a phone capable of Google Lens. Uh, brands have to start planning for this now. Um, yes, voice search will hit maybe 50% by 2020. That's that's the line that that we hear. Um, but the organizational investment and sometimes restructuring that needs to happen to be able to be ready for that, that's a lot of uh, content rewriting. That's a lot of tagging. That's a lot of restructuring that has to go on behind the scenes. Um, and that's you know one way we try to help our clients to navigate those, those changes because, um, yes, technology makes our lives easier, but you have to be able to enable technology. And just as like uh, search engines get better, uh, we have to make sure that we have the content that they're looking for. I think from, from my perspective, what I would advise clients to start thinking about is if technology weren't an obstacle, what would be the best experience for the various uh, services that you provide or information that you want to provide to your audience? So you know, for example, if, if you're selling a product what's the easiest way for someone to find out information about your product and then purchase your product? And 
you know, is that through visual search? Is that going to be the quickest way to, you know, take a picture and purchase something? Is that kind of how your product works? Or maybe your product is a little more in depth and requires, you know, a lot of conversational experiences with an assistant to really understand, you know, all the details about that product and then guide you, you know, through a chat bot or, or whatever it might be to a you know, guided sales experience. So each product is going to be different. Each, each brand is going to have different needs to engage with their customers in a certain way. And I think it's important to just, again, ask yourself, you know, removing what I have in front of me with the toys that I can play with and the assets that I've already created at its core, what is the most efficient process for me to deliver what I need to, to my customers and then work backwards from there? Yeah, I think we still have a long way to go in terms of the algorithm machine learning in um, like Google Lens, understanding what the image is and how to break that down into keywords because ultimately that's what it is, right? When you're taking a picture of something, Google's going to assume it's tied to these specific keywords, so it's going to match back to those types of products. Um, so from a paid perspective, we just got to continue doing what we do best and ensuring that we're always showing ads on the most relevant keywords because ultimately a search may go back to the keyword level search after the image matches up um, or until Google Lens allows ads to be served um, as part of that initial um, unit where it's matching up to like a Wikipedia image or something like that. But if they can introduce some type of ad unit, um, I think for now, as long as we have our keywords covered as we usually do, that's the most important aspect. Yeah, there's, there's always going to be some ontology, some taxonomy, some information semantics driving all of this even if it's like augmented reality um, it has to tie back to the data somehow just for an example in the wild on the paid search side of things um, there was an interesting bain uh, company did a, a, a test with their echo um, asking a bunch of product questions uh, and they found that the results about six percent of the time actually came from a product that was a sponsored ad you know purchased through ams um, so it's just an interesting uh, example of how you know, there's starting to potentially be some correlation between your paid media and what's being displayed or, or spoken back to you from these voice-enabled devices, even though there's not currently a direct way to purchase advertising on these devices. And, and speaking of AMS, which is Amazon Marketing Services, um, what if they release a, a lens product, right? And you can just easily uh, take a picture of a product and it'll link directly to the Amazon store and completely bypassing Google and Pinterest. So something to watch my counsel would be uh to adam's point which i think was spot on the this search and voice search and visual visual search is imminent and coming and companies need to structure accordingly uh i will say though technology for technology's sake is uh ill-informed sometimes you see brands rushing to create an alexa skill because that's the biggest thing that they read in the trades um what problem are you trying to solve for the consumer? And then think about how voice fits into that, whether that's uniting brands in a portfolio to solve a unique challenge um, or whatever incarnation that is, take it slow, be consumer first, and don't rush into the space um, just to rush into the space. Well said. And uh, for me, when I, when I look at it, I think today 
the best thing you can do if you're a brand, um, like a fashion brand or a Home Depot, for example, just give Pinterest your product catalog. I, I know we, we mentioned this before, but just give it to them, get indexed on their platform uh, as, as, as a step one. Uh, and then when, when, I, when I look at audio, I like the idea of actually creating audio content. You know, so taking some of your content that is text and putting it into audio, because that way, uh, you know, once users are accustomed to actually listening to your content, that might help change like the behavior of, well, now I know I can ask for it. Um, so that would be my recommendation. And Adam, Adam Simon, you're the last one on the, on the table here. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's um, doing whatever is appropriate in your sector to prepare, prepare for these things. I think that uh, Adam Edwards raised an interesting point earlier about packaging and uh, what effect visual search might have on packaging eventually. We know that that's, oh, that was, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually Dan. Sorry, um, Dan. So, yeah, oof, I talk so about good. embarrassing. Oh, talk I see about embarrassing. Look yeah. <laughs> uh, we know that the, the lead time for packaging uh, to change packaging is really long. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, one thing I would try is uh, try these uh, these services on your current packaging. Try them on the packaging that you're you're um, working on uh, for the future, um, and you know, make sure that logo is big and bright and clear. Uh, because uh, for uh, at least for a little while, there will be a time when our um, our artificial intelligences will not see as well as actual humans do. But with that, any last uh, comments? I tried the Pinterest lens on Yoda, and it thought he was a sea turtle. All right. Not 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 entirely wrong, but I think closer than a, a dog to a baboon. Yeah, at least they're both green. And I would say the last shameless plug is a voice search is all about finding an experience or content. So you know, when you're thinking about oh, voice search means technology or you have to build things, actually all you need to do is go talk to your SEO team because it's it's all about optimizing your, your content and the assets that you have to make it discoverable in voice search or visual search or whatever kind of search that evolves in the future like smell or whatever else we can think of. Cannot wait to search by smell. That's, 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 that's going to be a whole new world we live in. New York will be a great place to try that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with that, if you're looking for more great content, please check out our website, ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, you can check out our social channels. Twitter and Instagram are both at ipglab. Um, you can also access our Medium blog through that website. And if you like what you hear, share, tell a friend. Um, you know, promote us on iTunes. Give us, give us a an iTunes re review. Whatever you can do, we would uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, so, with that, thank you. We'll talk soon.